0: Are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message.
1: Now let's read the third psalm tonight and may the Lord speak to our hearts out of His wonderful word. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me." Maybe I ought to stop before I read it and just uh, say to you that this psalm was written in properly the darkest moment of David's life. Now, David had some dark moments. He was a man up to God's own heart. He was wonderfully blessed and highly honored of God and on earth. But David had many dark moments in his life, and this psalm was written probably in the darkest moment that David ever knew in all of his long and illustrious and eventful life. This psalm was written, spoken, of when Absalom betrayed David. Some say the night before Absalom was killed this psalm was written, but it's a psalm written in the darkest moment of David's life. And I like to call the message tonight Hope. Hope in the darkest hour. And uh, anytime you talk about needs, any kind of need, anytime you talk about needs, you're going to include everybody. Anytime you talk about the need of help from God, you're going to include every Christian. And this psalm might be called hope in the darkest hour. Now keep in mind, uh, when it was written, as we read it, Lord, how do they increase that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there's no help for him in God. Selah. And may I just stop and mention here's a word found many, many times in the psalm. Would you like for me to explain to you what it means? How many like for me to explain what it means? Well, I'm sorry I can't do that because I don't know what it means. And neither does anyone else. I've never found anyone who said, this is exactly what the word means. I think the nearest I've ever come to finding someone who sought to explain it was, uh, is, were the men of God who said it, is a, it has something to do with music. You see, the Psalms were sung. This book it was called the Psalter in the old days when there were many Christians in England, and they were sung. And they tell us that the word it used three times in this psalm, means that here the singing momentarily stops, and this word means let the musical instruments swell up higher here than ever, because these words right here are of tremendous importance. Some folks think it means pause. Think of that. Some think it means stop and pray. So I'll go back to my original statement. I don't know what it means. There is no help for him and God, Selah, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me my glory in the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he hurled me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept, I awake, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God! For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbones, thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord, thy blessing is upon thy people." Now, I've already mentioned to you that this psalm was probably written in the darkest moment of David's life. There are four chapters in the book of 2 Samuel that describe this dark hour in David's life. David, you know, had some famous children. Some were famous because God honored them. Some were infamous because their lives were a failure, and they ended in wreck and ruin. One of those sons of David was this young man by the name of Absalom. Absalom, no doubt, was a handsome young man. The Bible says when he pulled his hair, That is, when he went to the barber, like I did a little while ago, and they cut his hair, the Bible said that there was more hair grew on Absalom's head than just about nearly anybody. He no doubt was very handsome. And probably not only the people knew it, but Absalom probably knew it too. After a series of events in the lives of the children of David, Absalom now stands to be in line for the throne when David died. But he knew how his father felt. Absalom had slain one of his own brothers in a time of terrible revenge. And he knew that David would never appoint him to the throne. So Absalom became a traitor to his father. He sat down at the gate and... And when you hear somebody say he acts like Absalom acted, they mean he sat at the gate and his tongue was as smooth as butter, and his words rolled out like oil. And he sat in the gate of the city, and everybody that came by with a burden or a problem, he'd say to them, Why, if I were king, I would do thus and so to help you to solve your problem. One day he gathered two hundred chief men around him, and thousands of others whom he had deceived in following him, and actually began a war against his own father. There are four whole chapters in the book of Second Samuel, devoted to a description of Absalom's effort to literally destroy his own father. Second Samuel chapter 15, 16, 17, and 18. There are two things that make it a terrible problem in the life of David. One is Absalom's strength. As I said, there were two hundred chief men that immediately helped him to plan to usurp the throne from his father. The Bible says the number increased and increased and increased that were going with Avalon, Absalom. And finally the Bible said all the people. All the people, not like a universal term, all the people followed after Absalom. And so the strength of Absalom makes this a terrible problem in the life of David. But there's another thing. You see David take his, his family, his immediate family. You see him leave the palace of the king on Mount Zion. You see him go across the little book, Kedron. And out around the side of the Mount of Olives, and the Bible tells us how he went. Every one of them, David and these who went with him, as they went along, they had their heads covered. They were bowed low in sorrow, and with every step that they took, they wept as they went along. Not only were their hearts broken, but they suffered all kinds of ridicule. People said, there's no help for him in God. And the others came and they throw stones across the road at the king, and they used vile language and cursed him. And David never mentioned his son's name in the midst of this until at the end of the battle, the battle he asked about the safety of his force, but there he is. He is as brokenhearted, bad lovely with grief, he goes along the road. What makes this such a problem? It is a betrayal by his own flesh and blood. And I guess there is no sorrow like under the sorrow of betrayal by one's own thing. You know what leads me to say to you tonight, if you have a Christian family, and if you have a family who love you and support you and who stand with you, they are the most important people in all the world to you. None others are ever, ever as important as that little group of people. And the thing that broke David's heart, and how I thank God for a Christian family. Thank God my children are saved. Thank God I have a Christian home and Christian wives. Thank God I have a son in the ministry. And I'll tell you, there's never a breath I breathe. I don't thank God for how the Lord blesses me and my family. And I want to say to you tonight, by all means, don't ever take Your family, your loved ones, that little group, don't ever take them lightly. They're the most important people in your life, and never will anyone be as important to you as the members of your family. And here David's heart is broken because Absalom, his own son, is betraying him. But this goes beyond just David. You know, I mentioned that the Psalms, some of them are called Davidic, that means David As far as we know, was the author of them. The experience being described is the experience of David, but they're also Messianic. That means they're related to the coming Messiah and to the Lord Jesus Christ, such as through the third psalm. Like the second psalm showed the triumph of Christ, this psalm shows some of the sorrows of the Lord Jesus Christ. David's sorrow and his broken heart is typical of the sorrows of our Lord. You remember, David is disowned by his own. When the Lord came, this is exactly what happened to him. John 1, 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Not only did not receive him, but positively refused him, just like David's own would not accept him but openly refused him a picture of what happened to Jesus Christ. Even the journey he took is the same. Oh, look at the Lord Jesus. That night with eleven men, he comes out of the city of Jerusalem on the east side. He goes down in a little valley through which there flows a little stream called the book Kedron. And the word Kedron means dark. Because that little, that little brook saw so much sorrow. That night Jesus crosses that little brook, goes yonder into a garden called Gethsemane, kneels perhaps at a big stone that's covered there with a church this very night, and there agonized at God, and what is it were great drops of blood pouring from the little wee gates, the pores of his skin. There is his blood gathered in a crimson pool beneath his own agonizing body. He cried, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The journey that David took, the second David, the Son of God, takes. And he walks across that brook and around the Mount of Olives where our Lord ascended and left this world. Betrayal that David experiences, you have a picture of the betrayal and the sorrow of our Lord. But now here is, is the wonderful thing about it. In this song is this unusual confidence that David experienced in the midst of the darkest hour of his life. You remember I said, I would think I would like to call this hope in the darkest hour. You ever had a faith in your life and you just thought, well, there is no hope? I guess everybody sometime or another has. But you know, that, that, that condition just doesn't exist. Not only there was no hope for him in men, but men said, there's not any, even any hope for him in God. But David didn't believe that and warm your peace of mind, if you ever believe. David said, The Lord is three things to me. He is my King, first of all. You know, David was a man of war and blood, and when he came to the end of his earthly journey, he'd shed so much blood in war, God said to him, You can't build a temple, I'm going to let Solomon. Your son will build it, but you can't. And David spoke in military terms. And here he is, with his head bowed low, and his heart broken, and weeping as he goes. And this little cluster of people around him, and the stone falling, and the curse words flying. But as he walks along, he says, The Lord is my shield. God will protect me. You know, when the Lord came to Abraham in Genesis 15, he said, I am thy shield. And thy exceeding great reward. I'll protect you. So David said, In his great confidence, God gave him He said, The Lord is my shield. He said, The Lord is my glory. I do not glory in men, I do not glory in war. I do not glory in being lifted up as a king. I have glory in God. Then he said, He is the lifter up of my head. Now listen, that's saying something. His head is bent low, it's covered. He is as it were in sackcloth, and he's weeping, and his body is bent and strewed, and is in sorrow, and his heart is broken. But he said, God is the lifter up of my head. You ever had the Lord lift up your head? Or many a child with a broken heart come to a parent. The sweet, tender, loving hand of a loving parent reach out and put their hands under a little quivering chin, and hold up a little face and look in it, and say, You'll be all right." And this is what David said, God is going to do for me. He is the lifter up of my head. David remembered the Lord had heard him him previously, and so he said, The Lord, not only the Lord hears me, but the Lord heareth me. It's a constant process in my life, David said. God hid. He lost no sleep. Uh, This thrills me to death. Uh, When they got to where they were going to spend the first night out of the palace, old David lay down and went sound asleep. You know, that's one of the most shocking things in the world to your enemies. If you have any, I don't know whether you have any or not. I know I don't. I'm going to have to get me a few. Mine just about played out. But um, that's one of the most shocking things in the world to your enemies. When you lay down. Go sign the tree, and show to the whole world you're not worrying about a thing in the world!" Oh, how they must have talked to Peter when they put him in jail. They cut James's head off, and so everybody knew they meant business to put him in jail. And maybe some of the jail keepers came along, looked in there and said, "'I bet that preacher's scared to tell he's going to die tomorrow, as far as he knows!' They looked in there and his old Simon Peter. They said, the behold, he sound sleep. And he walked. He was the sound asleep It took an angel to wake him up. God had to send from an angel from heaven and shake him. He talked to God. you know why? One day the Lord said to him, Peter, while you're young, you go where you will. Do as you please as it were. But you're going to live to be old. And others shall find your hands and lead you whether you judge do not want to go. Old Simon Peter got in that jail, sat down, and he got thinking. I'm not an old man. I'm just middle aged. Most Lord said i was going to get old, and somebody'd bind my hands and lead me in my old age out to martyrdom. He told me I'd die a martyr's death, but when I was old, Levi' will just take me in that, and he did. You know it's wonderful to trust in God. There's just nothing in this world like being able to trust in God. Some of the critics of Martin Luther met him, and he was to stand before one of the Catholic Cardinals and give an account of his thesis and what he stood for and his doctrinal belief and his own testimony that he was saved. And somebody said to Martin Luther, What will you do? We'll erase a decision against you. Martin Luther never broke step. As he said, but as he walked along, he said, "God is my shield and kept on going. That's trust. And so, in the midst of a problem, in the midst of sorrow, trust God. He never fails. You heard it a thousand times, but do you believe it? Somebody said, I believe it when it's happening to others, but I can't believe it when it's happening to me. You've got to believe it when it's happening to you, that your confidence in God will bring you peace of mind. Now then, I want you to see three great lessons in this. First of all, that numbers never determine what is right. David is in the minority. Absalom is in the majority. And friend, no one is ever really in the majority till God is on his side. But Absalom didn't know that. And Absalom had, as the Bible says, all of the people, David's little handful, climbing over the the hillsides and down in the valley. And people might have said, "Why, Absalom must be right. Look at all the people going with him. And look at the little handful. The ones that really had no choice of going with David, remember it. Numbers never determined for right. I think of Noah. He was a minority, but right. Moses had an experience. I don't know whether anybody else ever had the same experience or not. One time, everybody said of Moses, let's stone him. I've come close to that experience, but never, never did get where everybody said it. Always some few people say, no, let's don't kill him right now. Let's save him to Easter or Passover or something. But me said, everybody said, "Stone him to death. Who was right? Who one man was right. Numbers never determined who was right. Daniel in the lion's den was really minority. But Daniel was right, and the Babylonian king, the wise men were wrong. Numbers never determine what's right. Secondly, numbers never determine success. You yeah, may look like? Why, this man, Absalom, is bound to succeed. He has his hundreds of thousands against his father David. He's bound to succeed. Numbers never determine success. God gives success. Thirdly, numbers never determine happiness. Let's see an illustration of that. You know when Saul, I'm talking about Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul the Apostle, when Saul of Tarsus was an unsaved religious rabbi, he had the support of all the leaders of the whole religious order in Israel. He was popular, he was brilliant,
0: and he had
1: numbers on his side, but he wasn't happy. He was so miserable, he had to even kill the people that were happy in his efforts to find peace. He was so miserable that he walked along the Damascus Turnpike, and God unhorsed him and spoke him to the clown. He never knew happiness when he had numbers, but one day the Lord saved him, and he was almost like he was alone until God had to say to a man by the name of Ananias, go down there and talk to him, and one man went, and he'd gone on into Damascus, the Straight Street, in a certain house, and and when people found out he was there and he was saved, they tried to kill him. And he had to run down that street and go to a certain gate, and somebody let him put him in a basket and let him down on the wall. And I see the apostle Paul all by himself running for his life and no one is with him. Oh yes, there is. The Lord is with him. He was happy running, and he was miserable, miserable, persecuted. He was miserable. When he had what he thought was the majority, he had peace of heart when he knew he was God's monarch, You know, the Lord always brings peace to the trusting soul. May God help us just to live in the psalm. You may not have any problems now. I hope you don't. No, nobody ever wants them, but put yourself in the psalm, and what God did for David